epic tales of mystery and magic to accounts of battle and empire from the verses of ancient poets to the masterpieces of our times a light on literature brings to life China's literary heritage and a look at the world in a new light On today's Light on Literature, we continue by presenting the book Two Years in the Forbidden City by Princess De Ling. Today, Malin narrates the first part of the 14th chapter titled The Emperor's Birthday. Through an account of the Emperor's Birthday celebration, we discover how Emperor Guangxu suppressed his curiosity about Western civilization and had to succumb to the power of Empress Dowager Cixi. The other crucial event during this time was the anniversary of the late emperor's death. We also got a glimpse behind the curtain and learned how Cixi viewed herself as a girl, a woman, a concubine, and a seemingly almighty ruler. My father's four-month leave having expired, he was received in the audience by their majesties on the first day of the sixth moon. He was much improved in health, but his rheumatism was still very troublesome. This was particularly noticeable when climbing the steps to the audience hall, and Her Majesty ordered two of the eunuchs to assist him. First, he thanked Her Majesty for her kindness towards my sister and myself, and, as was the custom, took off his hat and knelt down, bowing his head until it struck the ground. This ceremony was always gone through by any official who had received special favors from their majesties. He then replaced his hat on his head and remained kneeling before the throne. Her Majesty then questioned him about his life in Paris, from time to time complimenting him on his work. Seeing that remaining in this kneeling position appeared to be making him tired, Her Majesty ordered one of the eunuchs to bring a cushion for him to use, which was another great honor, as this cushion was only used by the President of the Grand Council. Her Majesty told him that as he was now getting to be a very old man, she did not intend sending him away from China again, as she wanted to keep my sister and myself at the court, which she could not do if she sent him to some foreign country, as he would want to take his daughters with him. She said she was pleased that although we had been away from China for such a long time, we were well acquainted with the Manchu customs. My father replied that it had been his care that we should be brought up according to the customs of our own country. Her Majesty, when asked the Emperor if he had anything to say, and he replied by asking my father if he spoke French, and thought it very strange on learning that he did not, my father explained that he had never had the time to study it, besides which he considered himself too old to learn a foreign language. The emperor next asked what was the feeling in France towards China. 
my father replied, that they were very friendly at that time, but that immediately after the boxer trouble, the post of minister had been a very embarrassing one. Her Majesty said that it had been an unfortunate affair, but she was glad that everything was now settled satisfactorily. She told my father that he was to get well again as quickly as possible, and the audience came to an end. Afterwards, Her Majesty said that my father was looking very old since his return from France, and that he would have to be careful and take things easy until he got stronger again. She was pleased that he had shown appreciation of her interest in my sister and myself. Preparations were now commenced for celebrating the birthday of His Majesty, the Emperor Guangxu, which was to take place on the 28th of that month. The actual date of the Emperor's birthday was the 26th of the sixth moon, but this day being the anniversary of the death of a previous emperor of China, we were unable to hold any festivities, and so it was always celebrated on the 28th day instead. The official celebration lasted for seven days, three days before and four days after the actual date. During the time the whole of the court dressed in official robes and no business of any kind of whatever was attended to, this being the Empress' 32nd birthday, and as the full celebrations only took place every 10th year, i.e. on his 20th birthday, his 30th birthday, and so on, the festivities were not carried out on a very grand scale. However, it was quite sufficient to interfere with all business, and the usual morning audiences did not take place during these seven days. The Empress Dowager herself was the only person who did not dress especially during these celebrations and who did not take any active part in the festivities. Another reason why the celebrations were not carried out on a very large scale was the fact that the Emperor Dowager being alive, she took precedence according to the Manchu custom over the Emperor himself. In fact, she was the actual ruler of the country, the Emperor being second. The Emperor was quite aware of this fact, and when the Empress commanded that preparations be commenced for the celebrations, the Emperor would always suggest that it was not at all necessary to celebrate the occasion unless it happened to be a tenth year and would very reluctantly agree to the festivities taking place. Of course, this was more out of politeness on the part of the emperor and to conform to the recognized etiquette. But the nation recognized this birthday and naturally celebrated according to the usual custom during this period, therefore, the painting of the portrait was postponed. When the morning of the 25th arrived, the emperor dressed himself in his official robe, yellow gown, embroidered with gold dragons and coat of a reddish-black color. Of course, being the emperor, in place of the usual button on the hat, he wore a large pearl. I might mention that the emperor was the only person who could wear this particular pearl in place of a button. 
he came as usual to wish Her Majesty Ji Xian and then proceeded to the temple to worship before the ancestral tablets. After this ceremony was over, he returned to the Empress Dowager and kowtowed to her. All the Chinese adopted this rule of kowtowing to their parents on their own birthdays as a sign of reverence and respect. The emperor next proceeded to the audience hall, where all the ministers were assembled, and received their solutions and congratulations. This ceremony very often caused amusement, for to see several hundred people all bobbing their heads up and down, especially when they did not all manage to do it together, was a very funny sight. Even the emperor himself had to laugh. It was such an extraordinary spectacle. The musical instruments which were used during the ceremony deserve a little description. The principal instrument is made of hard wood and has a flat bottom, about three feet in diameter, with a dome-shaped top raised above three feet from the ground. The inside is quite hollow. A long pole made of the same material is used as a drumstick, and an official, especially appointed, beats with all his might on the drum. The noise can be better imagined than described. This is used as a signal to announce when the emperor takes his seat upon the throne. In addition to the above, a full-sized model of a tiger, also made of similar hard wood and having 24 scales on its back, is brought into the courtyard. In this case, they did not beat the instrument, but scraped along its back over the scales, which emitted a noise similar to the letting of simultaneously of innumerable crackers. This noise was kept up during the whole of the ceremony, and with the drum and this tiger instrument, it was sufficient to deafen one. During the ceremony, an official crier used to call out the different orders, such as when to kneel, bow, stand up, kowtow, etc., etc. But with the noise, it was quite impossible to hear a single word of what he uttered. Another instrument was composed of a frame made of wood, about eight feet high by three feet broad. Across this frame were three wooden bars, from which was suspended twelve bells made out of pure gold. When these were struck with a wooden stick, the sound was not at all unlike the dalsama, only, of course, very much louder. This was placed on the right side of the audience hall. On the left side, a similar instrument was placed with the exception that the bells were carved out of white jade. The music, which could be brought out of the instrument, was very sweet. Ever wondered what sets China apart from the rest of the world? Do you want to know how China really works? How is China of the past different from the present? Get all the answers to your questions by visiting China Plus Audiobooks. Access a whole new world of audiobooks on our website at chinaplus.cri.cn slash podcast. Explore the philosophy, spirit, and story of the Chinese people. 
When this ceremony of receiving the ministers was concluded, the emperor proceeded to his private palace, where the young empress, his wife, the secondary wife, and all the court ladies were gathered. And after kowtowing, all of the court ladies present, led by the young empress, knelt before him and presented him with a rui. This is a kind of scepter. Some are made out of pure jade, while others are made out of wood inlaid with jade. This rui is a symbol of good luck and was supposed to bring happiness and prosperity to the person to whom it was presented. The ceremony was gone through to the accompaniment of music played on string instruments, which was very sweet. Next, the eunuchs were received by the emperor, and they similarly congratulated him, but without the accompaniment of music. After the eunuchs came the servant girls, and the whole of the ceremony was over. The emperor next proceeded to Her Majesty's palace, where he knelt before Her Majesty and thanked her for the celebration which had been given in his honor, after which Her Majesty, accompanied by the whole court, went to the theater to see the play. On arrival at the theater, we were all presented by Her Majesty with sweet meats, this being the custom on these occasions, and after a little while, Her Majesty retired for her afternoon rest. Thus, the celebration ended. Two days after the celebration, the seventh moon commenced. The seventh day of the seventh moon was the occasion of another important anniversary. The two stars, New Long, Capricorn, and Zhi Nu, Lyra, are supposed to be the patrons of agriculture and weaving, and according to tradition, were at one time man and wife. As the result of a quarrel, however, they were doomed to live apart, being separated from each other by the Milky Way. But on the seventh day of the seventh moon of each year, they are allowed to see each other, and magpies are supposed to build a bridge to enable them to meet. The ceremony was rather peculiar. Several basins full of water were placed so that the sun's rays would fall upon them. Her Majesty then took several tiny needles and dropped one into each basin. These floated on the water, casting a shadow across the bottom of the basins. These shadows took different forms according to the position of the needle, and if the shadow took certain prescribed forms, the person throwing in the needle was supposed to be very lucky and clever, while if they represented certain other forms, they were despised by the gods as being ignorant. In addition, Her Majesty burned incense and offered up prayers to the two gods referred to. This was always a sad moon for Her Majesty, it being the anniversary of the death of her husband, the Emperor Xianfeng, who died on the 17th of that month. The 15th of the seventh moon each year is the day of the festival for the dead, and early in the morning the court moved to the sea palace in order to sacrifice. The Chinese hold that when a person dies, his soul still remains on the earth, and on these anniversaries 
they burn imitation money, the belief being that the soul of the departed one will benefit to the extent of the amount of money so represented. On the anniversary above referred to, Her Majesty sent for hundreds of Buddhist priests to pray for those unfortunate people who had died without leaving anyone who could sacrifice for them. On the evening of this day, Her Majesty and all her court ladies set out in open boats on the lake where imitation lotus flowers were arranged as lanterns with a candle placed in the center which formed a sort of floating light the idea being to give light to the spirits of those who had departed during the year so as to enable them to come and receive the blessings which had been prepared for them. Her Majesty ordered us to light the candles and place the flowers on the water ourselves. As she said, it would be appreciated by the spirits of the dead. Some of the eunuchs had told Her Majesty that they had actually seen some of these spirits, which assertion was thoroughly believed. Although she had never seen them herself, she accounted for this by the fact that she was of too high a rank and the spirits were afraid of her. But she ordered all the rest of us to keep a sharp lookout and tell her if we saw anything. Of course, we didn't see anything, but many of the court ladies were so frightened that they closed their eyes for fear they might see something supernatural. Her Majesty was devoted to the late Emperor Xianfan, and she was very sad and morose during this period. We all had to be very careful indeed not to upset her in any way, as she would find fault on the slightest provocation. She hardly had a word to say to any of us and cried almost incessantly. I could hardly understand the reason for such grief, seeing that the emperor had died so many years previously. None of the court ladies were allowed to dress in light-colored gowns during the whole of the seventh moon. We all dressed either in dark blue or pale blue, while Her Majesty herself dressed in black every day without exception. Even her handkerchiefs were black. The theatres, which were usually opened on the 1st and 15th of each month, were closed during the 7th moon. There was no music, and everything was conducted in the most solemn manner. In fact, the whole court was in deep mourning. And that was from the 14th chapter of Two Years in the Forbidden City, written by Princess Sterling and narrated by Man Ling. Join us next time on Light on Literature for the second part of the chapter.
Ever wondered what sets China apart from the rest of the world? Do you want to know how China really works? How is China of the past different from the present? Get all the answers to your questions by visiting China Plus Audiobooks. Access a whole new world of audiobooks on our website at chinaplus.cri.cn/podcast. Explore the philosophy, spirit, and story of the Chinese.